0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: and I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan. It's Monday the twelfth of July two thousand and twenty one.
0: And as you know all too well, Norman, because you're living through it, Sydney is in uh, a tougher phase of lockdown than uh, than you were when we spoke last on Friday. And the last couple of days at the news conferences where they've been announcing these bigger and bigger numbers, we keep hearing this refrain from um, Gladys Berejiklian and Kerry Chant in New South Wales that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's getting pretty bad. So how much worse are we looking at uh, seeing seeing these numbers go up before we start to see this curve start bending back downwards again?
1: If people heard Friday's CoronaCast, you know that we spoke to Adrian Esterman from the University of South Australia, who's been calculating the reproduction number. In other words, how fast it's spreading from person to person. And on Friday, his rolling average was one, which means it was Stable, but stable at twenty to thirty cases a day.
0: And stable with a lot of a lot of restrictions in place.
1: Yes. But what happened in the next twenty-four hours after we spoke to Adrian was this fairly dramatic jump. And what's been happening is each day the numbers have been getting bigger and bigger. And so yesterday's numbers were seventy-seven and I think they were around about fifty the day before. So they're pretty depressing numbers. And Adrian's recalculated his rolling average it's called RF, the effective reproduction number, from one to 1. 1.8. Anything over one means exponential growth. So you are seeing exponential growth, which means that it's multiplying and going. the curve is going up pretty steeply. We're back to where we were last March or so, which was that we've got a curve that needs to be bent and bent urgently.
0: Well, I mean, we're already in lockdown. Well, Sydney's already in lockdown. There's st- tougher restrictions in place, like you just said. What more can they do to bend that curve if it's not already bending?
1: It's just worth keeping on about this because what happens today, the numbers you'll see today coming out of New South Wales, reflects what happened in New South Wales five to seven days ago. And anything that changed on Friday and Saturday in New South Wales in terms of restrict, increased restrictions, which really weren't very much, it was about exercising in public with two people, it was 10-kilometre radius, etc. But whatever, if that was going to have an effect, you're not going to see it till next weekend. This all happens in slow motion. What more could happen? Well, I think tomorrow you should tune into CoronaCast, where we're going to have some data from Victorian modelling, which suggests what you could put in place to get what sort of effect. Um, sorry, we don't have it today for you, but we'll try and we'll get it for you tomorrow. But you could restrict to five kilometres. You could define what are non-essential retail outlets, so that you define what outlets are allowed to be open, which is really what they did in the first wave last March and did very successfully, and really get people off the streets. Because if you look and see there's a clothes shop open, or another kind of shop open, which isn't really essential, then you say, well, if it's open, I can go into it, and I can get out there. And and the dominant message in New South Wales at the moment is, is pleading with people to do the right thing, rather than telling them about what the right thing to do is. You know, there are some things which, we can insist upon and police are enforcing in terms of having people run to your house and social gatherings, playing and a PlayStation in a, ga- in a garage and so on. Those sorts of things are illegal and you'll get fined for them. But there's sufficient willingness around the rest about being in, under, in your own discretion about whether you go to a non-essential retail outlet. We should be told what are non-essential retail outlets and they should be closed. I know that causes hurt and commercial hurt, but if it can shorten the epidemic, why not?
0: What they're asking or any lockdown is really asking for people to really put themselves second and the community first, and it's a hard thing to do, but it's a much easier thing to do if you know that it has an end date. And people in Victoria know all too well that that kind of long rolling lockdown was incredibly difficult, um, like personally. So we heard yesterday that the lockdown probably isn't going to lift next Friday, which was when they had originally said that it might. If it doesn't lift then, How much longer are we potentially looking at here?
1: It's hard to predict that. Hopefully we'll get some modelling which will illustrate that and we'll talk to you about it tomorrow on Coronacast. But it's hard to predict that. But it's not going to be just one more week. It's probably going to be two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. Um, I'd love it to be shorter than that. But this curve is not going to bend quickly.
0: And then the other news that came out yesterday, which was really, really sad to hear, was that a woman has died of COVID, the first person to die in this outbreak, a woman in her 90s, and we heard that she probably wasn't vaccinated.
1: Yes. So our commiserations go to the family of that person. And yes, the elderly are people who are most vulnerable but we also have young people being ventilated at the moment and in intensive care. So it's not just a disease of older people.
0: And so of course the message there is, if you are eligible for a vaccine and you haven't had it yet, book it today, go out and get it done. And Norman, you've actually had your second dose of AstraZeneca just yesterday, Uh, how are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling great, on top of the world, absolutely.
0: And you had that that done earlier than the 12 week interval, which is what was recommended by the TGA, but there was a bit more nuance around the recommendations for that uh, yesterday, what do we know for people who are in high-risk transmission settings like you?
1: Well, the first dose of Astra doesn't give you very good protection at all against the Delta variant, about 30% protection against symptomatic disease. You need a second dose to actually get you up there. What people forget is that the clinical trial in which 12 weeks was based, it was an accident that we were able to observe people at 12 weeks, which showed a high rate of efficacy, which is great. And that's why they went out to 12 weeks. But it wasn't based on a lot of people. And we don't really know the reduction in immunity that you get at eight weeks. It's liable to be smaller at eight weeks than 12 weeks, but your second dose is going to to give you more protection. And there's not agreement amongst virologists and immunologists about this. So some, like Sharon Lewin of the Doherty, says, well, probably shouldn't do it. And that may be true of Victoria at the moment, but here in New South Wales, where I'm speaking from, I think you want to get covered quickly. So that's why I did what I did.
0: You mentioned just before, Norman, that the first dose of AstraZeneca gives you, quote unquote, only 30% against disease, symptomatic disease, which I suppose is still better than nothing. But what does that mean for people who are in Sydney at the moment toying with getting that first dose and when they should organise their second dose for as well?
1: Well, basing this on studies from British data, and it's on a preprint. So in other words, it hasn't been peer reviewed, at least I'm not aware of it having been peer reviewed and published properly. So you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. But at the point that they did this study, um, which looked at the effects of the vaccines on the Delta variant, it was really looking at the effects of first and second dose on symptomatic disease. So very significant reductions of both Pfizer and Astra on the first dose, but getting up to pretty good coverage for all symptomatic disease on the second dose. They didn't have enough data in that study to actually work out what the effect was on hospitalization and severe disease of the first dose. Their assumption is that it would have been reduced, but come back up to pretty much where it was, which is in the 90% area for the second dose.
0: Right. So still a couple of gaps in our knowledge there, but definitely better than nothing.
1: And you can't get your second dose until you've had your first one.
0: We did hear in the Commonwealth Chief Medical Officer press conference yesterday that in Sydney, there is a pretty good uh, argument for getting that, that second dose in earlier to talk to your GP about it between that four and 12 weeks mark, but for outside of Sydney to stick to the 12-week interval.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's. I'm not going to contradict uh, official advice on this. You've got to make up your own mind. Or you've got to make up your own mind.
0: So KP's sent us a message on Twitter, Norman, asking, she's spoken to lots of friends recently who don't want to get vaccinated as they're worried about the long-term effects of the vaccine. KP thinks this is crazy. Apart from go get vaccinated, which I'm basically begging them to do, what would you say to a loved one?
1: Well, you can just go on past performance of vaccines. And the past performance of vaccines, regardless of the technology, whether it's recombinant DNA technology or more traditional technology behind the vaccines, is that there are no long-term effects of vaccines. If you're gonna get a side effect of the vaccine, it tends to occur in the first six months. So what we're seeing in terms of Pfizer, in terms of heart inflammation, what we're seeing in terms of Astra, in terms of this blood clotting syndrome, that's probably gonna be just about it. I don't think there's gonna be any other surprises coming out because the history of vaccines, I'm just repeating myself now, is if you don't see it in the first six months, you're unlikely ever to see a a longer-term side effect.
0: And the flip side is that COVID, the disease we know does have long term effects that are awful.
1: That's right. And it happens in younger people as well. You just do not want to get long COVID. And we just forget that equation. We are worried about side effects that are at a level of one in 30 to 50,000, whether you're talking about heart inflammation or the clotting syndrome. And one in 50 people, I haven't done the latest calculation, but it's about one in 50 people infected are in ICU and one has died. So the risks when you've got COVID running, this Delta variant, are huge. And this Delta is running and you've just got to look overseas at the UK, at the Netherlands, France, other places where Delta is running. Israel's gone back to masks and social restrictions. Delta is serious. And even 60% coverage of double doses doesn't give you enough. You've got to get to 80 or 90%.
0: So speaking of COVID and how it can be bad news for young people, what do we know about the numbers of young people who are catching COVID internationally at the moment, given that most adults are now vaccinated in many countries.
1: Some of the best data come from Israel and uh, Nature has just reported some of the latest data from the Ministry of Health in Israel. And this is largely a phenomenon of having immunised the older age groups and remembering, as I said, Israel has just put in restrictions like mask wearing, social distancing again, and border restrictions. And what the data show from Israel is that nearly 40% of new infections are in 10 to 19 year olds. And 11%, nearly 12%, I should say, are in not to nine years old. So 50 odd percent of the cases are in people aged 19 and under.
0: Are they getting badly sick?
1: I don't have that data. Um, It's unlikely that they're getting A lot of severe illness, but some of them will be in hospital. And if there's enough of them, some will die, unfortunately, but at a lower rate than older people. But a high number, maybe one in five, do get long COVID.
0: What does that tell us then about the future of how we live with COVID long term?
1: It tells you that we've got to immunise not just 12 years old, we've got to immunise everybody in the the community, including children. It's going to have to be part of the childhood immunisation schedule.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast, but we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. In the meantime, if you've got questions, send them to us, abc.net.au slash CoronaCast.
1: And we'll see you tomorrow.
0: See you then.